I think the number one thing I see that people get wrong when it comes to pricing, like most executives think that what you charge will determine your success. In fact, who and how you charge determines your success. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. I hope you're all having a great week. We talk a lot about innovation on this podcast. And, you know, what we don't talk enough about is how do you price and position your products uh, that you do create? So we're fortunate to have Dan Bolkowski join us, and he's the founder and chief pricing officer. That's a nice title, chief pricing officer, at a company called Product Tranquility. And he focuses on helping B2B SaaS CEOs kind of define that pricing and packaging for their new products. And so, so Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Paul. I'm excited for our conversation. Hopefully it's valuable yeah, well, for your audience. You bet. And where are you joining us from? Uh, Austin, Texas. It's kind of funny because I'm actually in Austin, Texas as well for a conference. So here we are, but we couldn't meet face to face, but I'm sure glad you joined us, Dan. So tell us about Product Tranquility. What 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 is What is the company about and how did you kind of get started with it? Yeah. So as you mentioned in your intro, Product Tranquility, we help uh, mostly high volume B2B SaaS CEOs define pricing and packaging for new products. So I've been in the tech space. My entire career started on the side of the fence building software, a software engineer. I found as I was in that role that although building the products was interesting, first of all, the computer never cared how angry I got at it. It still wouldn't run my code. So I figured maybe there was another opportunity for me, but I was much more interested in you know how the products we were building you know, created outcome or value for the customers that we served and how that turned into dollars and cents for the business. I never really got that aspect of my engineering training. And as I matured in my career, eventually moved into engineering management, which I was responsible for product roadmap at the company I was at because they didn't have really a product management function. And that led me to pursue my MBA. I was very lucky. The MBA program I attended, I found this out later. I didn't realize it at the time was one of the few that actually had had a, had, had a deep foundation in, in marketing overall, but one of the few MBA programs that actually had pricing as some of the mm. classes that I took. So I got that initial frameworks there. And then I got thrown into my first pricing project when I did my MBA internship. I worked for a successful Silicon Valley company. And when I showed up among multiple projects, I worked up for them that summer on the CEO's desk. They went to market. They were selling consumer apps through four major go-to-market partners. And one of those go-to-market partners was trying to position themselves as the low-cost player in their market. And so dictated to all their app partners that they had to have a freemium version of their app. And so the CEO said, well, hey, we have to create this freemium app for this one partner. Should we do it for all of them? And again, among multiple projects I worked on that summer, that was one of the main ones. And TLDR, I don't like freemium, but that was sort of <laughs> my first real world uh, experience, like figuring out what are the ins and outs of the, of the freemium model. And after school, I, I went into more pure product management, product strategy roles. And just because of my background and the experience that I had, you know, product management didn't own pricing, but I often got looped into those one because of my 
domain knowledge, my understanding of the value of the customers, and then also my market research background, given my MBA experience. And so I did that in multiple forums, company I worked for, you know, the first product I was given had a major pricing and packaging issue. It had other major product issues as well, but one of its major problems was it hadn't been priced and packaged correctly. So had a lot of friction there, sort of stuck out like a sore thumb compared to the other, how it fit into the go-to-market model compared to the other products that were in the portfolio. And then was asked to help on different initiatives and did that at different levels at different companies and went off on my own about three years ago. And that's now all I do is help companies with pricing and packaging. That's a, that's a neat journey. You know, it, it's incredible. It's so important and it's so hard to do, at least, at least to me. I mean, you know, I watch so many people just guessing and, and really just stabbing in the dark and it doesn't feel like it has the same disciplines around it, let, let's say product management does, right? So it's really important. I mean, it's, it's so important to get it right. And, and so let's just talk about that. What do people get wrong about pricing? Yeah, well, first of all, I completely agree. You know, we could say the same thing if we turn the clock back 20 years on product management. Yeah. The product management itself was very much a apprenticeship type model where there wasn't you couldn't go to school and get a, a boot camp certificate or a degree in product management. I still don't think you can go to most universities and get a degree in product management, but the frameworks and the approaches have definitely evolved and become more concrete over time. Right. I hope to see the same thing happening with, with pricing, but I agree. I, I also see a lot of guessing. I think the number one thing I see that people get wrong when it comes to pricing, like most executives think that what you charge will determine your success. In fact, who and how you charge determines your success. So if I were you know, in the shoes of a product manager or startup founder or CEO, you know, I would spend most of my time on what the price tag goes on and little to no time on what number goes on the price tag. And I think that's really where people get tripped up is when I say I work on pricing and packaging, People get very enamored with the price aspect. And they mm. just kind of, I think maybe because they don't understand what packaging is, their eyes glaze over, they ignore <laughs> it. But, you know, is this, is this $10 users at $100 users at $49.95? And look, I love those conversations as well, but it actually tends to be the, the least impactful aspect of pricing. The other packaging aspects are the most important things to get right, as well as really understanding your customers, the customer segments you're trying to serve, your ideal customer profile understanding their context and constraints and how you create value for them, because those different customers will affect your pricing and packaging decisions and how they understand you know, what your product can do for them and the outcomes you can help them achieve. And you used the word value a few times in there. What is value? What's your definition? Oh man, how much time do we have? So I, I'm writing, <laughs> I'm writing a, a series of, of blog posts on this because I think this is fundamental to the pricing exercise. Intelligent price management starts with intelligent value management. And I'm not the first person who says it, but it's incredibly important. I really take my understanding of value through two frameworks that are out there that I didn't create. I stand on the shoulders of giants, but I think are very valuable in this regard. So the first one is what's called the value cascade. This was put forward by a gentleman named uh, Tom Nagel, he wrote an excellent book, one of the Bibles of pricing overall, not just SaaS pricing, but pricing overall. And he created this concept called the value cascade. He put forth in the book, The Strategy and Tactics of Pricing. 
when we think about the value cascade, we can think of it as a, a bar chart with the highest bar on the left and then you know several lower bars uh, to the right of it. Mm-hmm. We start the highest bar with this concept of use value. So use value is really the sum of all potential benefits that a customer could receive from a product. Economists will also refer to this as utility. So we think about utility, there's really what we call three core kind of value drivers. And this is where the world of, of value cascade and jobs to be done interact. There's really three core value drivers that map to the three types of customer jobs to be done. So there's what we call functional or economic value drivers. So these are helping a person do a task more efficiently with higher performance, uh, helping them save costs, helping them increase optionality, doing uh, an activity with less error rate, uh, with lower risk. Then there's two types of emotional value drivers, what we call a personal value driver, which is how you make someone feel. So I could give you a sense of confidence. I could reduce your anxiety. I could give you uh, additional status, right? All of those things can create value for people. And then social value drivers. And this is important, especially if you're dealing with, uh, say, a governmental organization or a nonprofit where you know, we're not just humans. You know, we care about our own self-interest, but not everything we do is creating you know, direct value for us. We also create value for the broader human kind. And so that could be things like fighting climate change or fighting for you know equal rights or freedoms, uh, equal education, things like that. And so those are kind of the core underpinnings of how products derive value for people. Mm-hmm. But as I was mentioning in the value cascade, that's sort of the first tier. What the value cascade helps us understand is that that's not where we stop. The next stage of the value cascade is understanding what we term exchange value or what Nagel will call economic value. So use value, utility, it's helpful to understand how we improve the lives of customers, but that's not necessarily relevant for a pricing exercise because all value is relative. It's not absolute. So we're always comparing to other products, other solutions, other alternatives that could also get the same job done. And therefore, we have some sort of reference value. Usually, we'll talk about as a next best competitive alternative. If you didn't exist in the market, what would the customer use to get that job done today? Mm-hmm. For a lot of SaaS products, you know, they probably are competing with email and spreadsheets, not necessarily another package yeah. software startup down the road, right? I, I like this idea of broader competitive alternatives. And then it's about understanding within the concept of exchange value, okay, here's this next best competitive alternative. It has a market price. In a market economy, undifferentiated value gets priced by the market. So what is the differentiation versus that next best competitive alternative that we bring? And that's really where our pricing power comes from. And there's a whole bunch of tools and techniques to help us get, you know, help us understand what that is. But, you know, as a simple example, you know, let's say, uh, Paul, you and I set up shop across from each other, like, like we were two Starbucks, but said, let's use a, we'll put up lemonade stands. You, know, <laughs> you sell your lemonade at $5 a glass. I sell mine at $10 a glass. Well, you've now set the market price for a cup of lemonade in our right. little uh, square block neighborhood uh, at $5. So unless I have some justification, I have some differentiation, you know, my lemonade is squeezed from the finest lemons of the Amalfi Coast in Italy or has some special vitamins, right? The the market price is $5 for, right. for you know, because because no rational customer, they're going to go across the street. So really helps us get clear on 
what is our competition? And then what is our differentiation relative to that competition? And then finally, the last part of the value cascade is this concept of perceived value. We are not, as economists would claim, homo economicus, this rational actor that 100% knows all available solutions, everything about every alternative that's available to them, how they all differ. As humans, we use heuristics. We use mental shortcuts. There is a very rational choice on the side of the buyer that you know it costs me time, money, uh, investment of other you know emotions to go and educate myself about everything. And so I'm going to use shortcuts, right? This is where in our marketing, you know, something like a, a logo garden where you have, oh, this is this product yeah. is also used by Nike and Adobe and Google and you know JP Morgan, right? Because buyers use this or testimonials. These are things where you know we have a have a responsibility to help communicate the value in a way that helps shape and prospect thinks about you know the product that we're really offering. So that's the value cascade. And then as I was mentioning, jobs to be done is is really important. This is where we really think about, you know, again, going back to who we're charging, you know, not all of your customers are the same. And really understanding the value in the in that value cascade comes from a process, which is really asking your customers questions about their business. What is the outcome ultimately that you're helping them achieve? And the trick in these discussions is to really drive discussion to a dollar sign. If you can't, mm. at the end of the day, focus on a financial value, any talk about value to a customer is just noise. But we want to think about what is the context or situation that that customer is in? Because that context is going to dictate you know, their motivations, their constraints, and how much they're going to value the product in that particular situation. So this really gets into a broader discussion around you know, getting beyond your standard sort of firmographic firma or demographic understanding, right? It doesn't help uh, a, a vendor to know that Dan is a 40-year-old male living in Texas with a graduate degree, you know, who makes right. X amount of money. Yeah. That doesn't dictate why I make per particular purchase decisions. But Jobs to be Done really helps us focus on you know, what is the problem we're trying to solve in the context that I'm in? Because my problems arise in context. I, I have a certain desire when I'm at the gym, when I'm riding the bus, when I'm you know taking a, a work trip that dictates the the decisions and my motivations uh, that is really important to understand. And, and that's really where value is created is in creating those outcomes for customers. I said a lot there. I'll stop. Yeah, no, I really like that. I, I like the categories, the three categories you shared, use value, uh, exchange value, perceived value. And I'm thinking about, you could go ask people, what would you pay for this, right? They can't tell you. But I think if you go down into these, this, this level of decomposition that you just took us through, I think they can say why something is worth more to them than the other, even if they can't put a number on it. Is that a fair summary back of, of what you were just saying? Yeah, yeah. There's no absolute value meter that we carry around in our heads, right? right? But if you say, you know, go back to our, our simplistic lemonade example, right? Yeah. If, you know, I say, oh, these are Whole Foods lemons versus these are you know, HEB lemons. HEB is the local grocery, you know, regular grocery store. If that doesn't matter to the person, right, or they don't, or they don't have knowledge that it matters, 
it's going to change. Okay, yeah. well, I'm not really willing to pay for that, right? And so they can they can make that contrast because there's something for them to compare it to. They're, the relative or ratio, you know, they can make consistent judgments about. But you know, in an absolute sense, uh, it's very difficult for people to really wrap their heads around a, a price or a value in that world. That's the end for part one. Hope you enjoyed that. We'll talk to you next week when we continue our discussion with Dan Polkowski on pricing and packaging. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com. <laughs>